Jeremiah 31, verses 27 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Amen. I've had a discussion uh, with a family member last week um, in Southern Africa. He is in senior management of uh, his company and they have to apply what we call in Southern Africa affirmative action. Now basically basically means that positive steps will be taken to rectify the wrongs of the past towards certain groups of people in areas of employment, education, culture, sport, wherever. Those people who were historically excluded should now be included. And we're talking about things like race, gender, ethnicity, and so on. Now, where, where this is uh, done on a specific selection, again, it causes intense controversy. He's a relatively young guy, and he feels that his generation have to pay for the wrongs of apartheid, the, the bad things that happened in the past, after democratic elections in Southern Africa, as Southern Africa took place more than 20 years ago. They played, he said, no part in it, but his generation has only a 30% chance of being employed at this organization in which he is in senior management. They have to compete not based on merit, but based on other considerations. And we all know, maybe you don't know, but in South Africa, the sports teams by 2019 should be 50% black. That is a government-specific policy. And of the 50%, 80% has to be African blacks. It means that 
a specific group of people in South Africa called the colored people, which they are not black people, but they are uh, specifically called colored people, are not part of uh, that 80%. So this is more or less how Israel felt in this specific passage that we've read today. The Proverbs, the prophet was going around that the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The same words are used in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. The sins of the fathers and the mothers caused the pain, the suffering, the oppression that they experience at the moment. And the sins of the fathers were many. In chapter 31, verse 32, we read that they have been like an unfaithful wife because God was like a husband to them. It is indeed so that we don't like it, that we often have to bear the consequences of what our fathers and mothers did while we played no part in it. This is what they said in Lamentations chapter 5 or 7. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Unfair, isn't it? Unfair. That's what many people say. It is in this situation that God comes and applies affirmative action. He says that everything will change. And he calls, he, he looks at the past and he, and he says, I have watched over what happened in the past. How things were uprooted and tore down, overthrown, destroyed and brought disaster. But now I will watch over the restoration. I will apply specific action so that things will change. The Lord has monitored what happened in the past. He said, that's enough. The time is over. And I will now watch over the building and the planting. He calls it the new covenant. What does this new covenant look like? This new situation of building and planting. The first thing is that it will restore the relationship between God and his people. This passage speaks about a broken relationship. I, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand, like the Exodus, 
Because they broke my covenant, he says, though I was a husband to them. It speaks of a God whose heart is broken, like a husband or wife whose heart is broken when someone was unfaithful. This is the story of human beings, of all of us, from Adam to now. Paul says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. All of us are in the same boat. But God says, I will make a covenant with the people. And you know what will happen in this restoration of the relationship between us? He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's the old classical formula used from the beginning of the Old Testament. God will be their God. They will be His people. These are the same words that we hear over and over and over again when God addresses the, faithful, uh, the faith, faithlessness of people. We see His faithfulness. Just after this passage, we read in verse 37 that God's faithfulness will never end. He says, only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of what they have done. God's faithfulness never ends. He restores the relationship between people and himself. The second thing about this new relationship is that there will be a new obedience. This was not the case in Israel's life. We, we read in chapter 17, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. This is what Jeremiah says about the people. What we see in the world today are hearts of stone. People coming near to God with their mouths, Isaiah says. Honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away from me. Isaiah says in chapter 29, verse 13, their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. That's the heart of people. This is who we are in terms of the Bible. There is no real Seeking for God coming from the heart of people. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. 
There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. He speaks about their throats are like open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers are on their lips. And he ends that section. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. What is written on our hearts is disobedience, is hatred, is rejection of God. By our very nature, we're inclined to hate God and our fellow human beings. But God's faithfulness goes much further than our hearts, he says. He says, I will change that. I will take responsibility for your evil hearts. This is the covenant, he says, that I will make with the people. Verse 33. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will change their hearts of stone. The next chapter he says, I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. The disobedience will end. I will change it. See, this is about God's law that was broken by those who had religion but no relationship with God. God now says, I will write the laws that was given that were given long time ago on stone I will write it on their hearts of flesh will people ever love God with an undivided love love each other with the love of God will it ever happens happen God says yes it will happen when I write my law on their hearts, when they will serve me not because the church tells them to do it, but because I took control of their lives. These are not nice ideals and dreams. This is on God's agenda for each one of us. And while these people were waiting for this to happen, we see in Ezekiel how it will happen. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new, new heart and a new, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The Spirit of God will come and He will change us from within, Ezekiel says. And look what will happen then. No longer will it be necessary 
to have ministers telling people what to do. Because people will come to each other and say, we know the Lord. We know the Lord. All people will know me, great and small. When will this happen? When will this happen? Paul says, when the Spirit of God is in our hearts, it will happen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That's what's written on our hearts by the Spirit of God. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. The hard hearts are behind us. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul writes to people filled by the Spirit of God in 2 Corinthians 3, and he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, He says there is freedom. And we all, who have unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image, with ever-increasing glory which come from the Lord, who is the Spirit. More and more and more it should become evident in our lives that the Spirit wrote the law of Christ on our hearts. Francois Fenelon lived in the late 17th and early 18th century and was a prominent member of the court of Louis XIV. He was denounced by Pope Innocent XII for having loved God too much and man too little. And he wrote the following, What God asks of us is a will which is no longer divided between him and any creature. It is a will which wants without reserve whatever he wants and which never wants under any pretext anything which he does not want. That's what it means to have the law of God written on our hearts, to want what God wants, not what we want. And he writes, what folly to fear, to be too entirely God's. It is to fear to be happy. It is to fear to love God's will in all things. 
It is to fear you have too much comfort in God's love and too much detachment from the passions which make us miserable. All, he says, is not too much for God. All is not too much for God. There will be a new obedience in our lives if we have encountered the Lord, the Spirit of God. What's the reason for this change? Is it because God saw some kind of potential in us? No, passage doesn't say that. There's only one reason given in this passage. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. After he said all these things, he said the reason why it's because people will discover the grace of God through forgiveness. You see, these people didn't only have to be returned to their land. They had to return to God. They had to be restored in their relationship with God. And when the letter to the Hebrews quote this passage from the Old Testament, he connects it with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 14, For by one sacrifice, that's Christ, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then he says, the Holy Spirit also testifies about this. And then he quotes Jeremiah 31. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, the sins... Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary because Christ brought the sacrifice. In Jesus, we receive a new beginning for our lives. It doesn't matter what went wrong. In Jesus, we find a new beginning. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who paid the price of the sins of the fathers, who paid the price for us. If you want affirmative action, this is what it is. Jesus paying for the sins of the world. And your sins. In him we see total obedience to God's will. God's will was written on his heart. And he said, my only purpose is to do what my father 
sent me to do. God has broken the vicious cycle of sin and punishment through Jesus Christ. He's broken the cycle that permits us to start anew. Walter Brueggemann says, This passage invites Jews and Christians to stand in grateful awe before the miracle of forgiveness. To receive it and to take from it a new regenerated life. The old order is gone. Paul says, the new has come. It is all the work of God. And therefore, we say as Christians, it's not because of us, it's because of Him that we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus became for us the wisdom of God. Jesus became for us our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is our redemption and righteousness. And therefore, Paul says, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's give him the honor for everything. The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, we read. It is hard to take responsibility for the sins of our fathers. It's unfair and unreasonable, but Jesus did it on our behalf. Would it be necessary for us to encourage people to give to the Lord? Should it be necessary for us ever to encourage people to pray? Should it be necessary for us to tell each other to love each other? No, it shouldn't be necessary. Jeremiah says, no longer will they, te they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Teenagers, students, older people, they will all have a passion for the law of God, to love God and to love our neighbors. We don't need the, the church to make formal decisions about racism or social justice or the lottery or whatever. Because the law of God is written on our hearts. The only prayer that governs our life is let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give bread to the world. 
forgive as we have forgiven. Standing against the structures of evil. It's written on our hearts for his name's sake. Nobody has to beg us to become involved in issues of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God shapes our existence. Nobody should ask us to come together to study God's word because the word of God is our passion and the knowledge of God is our passion. Each of us, Jeremiah says, is responsible now for our own lives. Don't ever say it's because of my father and my mother that I suffer. He says, no, you are responsible for your own life. Don't ever say, my father and mother, they were so righteous and so good, so I don't care. Based on their righteousness, I'm a good person. No, you are responsible for your own life. Bernard of Clairvaux, he lived in the 11th, 12th century. He spoke about four degrees of love, and I want to, to close with this. He says the first one is that we just love ourselves. That's in our nature. Self-centeredness, that's all that counts. He says the second one is that we move a little bit further. We realize you cannot just be selfish, but we continue to love God then only for the benefits. Ah, we love God because he gives us eternal life or because he gives us food to eat or a job to have. This is the second degree of love. He says, but while we are trying to serve God in this way, we also realize that this is not where we should be. Then we start to love God just because God is God. In our words, in our actions, we begin to serve God because we are loved. He says, then we can say, give praise to the Lord for his good. Not because he is good to me, but because he's good. So we love God for God's sake and not for our own sake. He says, but then there's a fourth degree. And that degree of love we reach sometimes and sometimes not. But we should aspire to that. He says it's when we lose ourselves as though we do not exist. The prayer, your will be done, will be our prayer and our delight. 
He says, like a, a drop of water drops in the ocean and loses its identity and takes on the, the taste and color of everything. So our will is dissolved in His will. And just like an iron heated and glowing looks very much like fire, having lost its original appearance, just as air flooded with the light of the sun is transformed into the same splendor of that light, so that it appears to be the light itself, so it is like for those who melt away from themselves and are totally emerged into the will of God. What's the situation in your life this morning, my life? Can we say that the law of God is written on our hearts? Can we say it in our relationships with one another in the congregation? When you meet someone of our congregation, when people meet you, do they see the law of God is written on your heart? Is it necessary for us constantly to beg people to be committed to the Lord? While God says, here I am. I'm here to transform your life. I'm here to restore the broken relationship. Come, let me do it for you. Because I have forgiven you. I have given you a new start. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would once again touch us and break the hearts of stone we have so that it will become hearts of flesh on which your law, your love is written. Thank you for Jesus who gave his life for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And once again, Lord, we come to you this morning and, and ask that you would transform us so that Christ will become more and we less. And Lord, we want to join together in prayer this morning as we commit our lives once again in the words that the Lord Jesus Christ taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 